Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, for ever and ever. Amen. Thank you very much, Alison. Do keep your Bibles open at that reading from Ephesians 3, and let's pray for God's help as we look together at this remarkable passage. Father, we thank you that you have a tremendous store of glorious riches that cannot be exhausted or reduced. Father, we pray tonight that out of your glorious riches, you would strengthen us with power. Please, tonight, would this not just be a time when we look at empty words and think empty thoughts and leave here empty, but please, Father, would you be amongst us by your spirit, taking your powerful word and making it powerfully at work in our lives. We pray this, that you would be glorified in the church. In Jesus' name, amen. I suppose we've all had the experience of being overwhelmed in life. We've given it our best shot. We've put all our energy, our resources, our emotional capital into it, and it hasn't been enough. And we know that we have reached the limit of our ability. We are therefore overwhelmed. As we turn to Ephesians 3 tonight, I think the Apostle Paul is himself overwhelmed. He is overwhelmed by this thought. The one eternal God who stands above and beyond all authority and power, who has reigned from eternity past and who will reign for eternity in the future, Uh, this one God of unrivaled power and authority who is uh, glorious above every other power in the universe, the one to whom every knee will bow one day, Uh, the one who sits outside time and who rules eternity, this one God of unthinkable power and glory has decided to display his glory and his wisdom. How? Through the church. 
the church, that's us here tonight. Some of us have dragged ourselves to church tonight. Some of us have come angry. Some of us have come bitter. Some of us uh, have come wishing we weren't here, preferring to be somewhere else tonight. Some of us are so racked by insecurity that we dread the conversations that will take place after church, and yet we are profoundly lonely. Some of us find it hard to see beyond our needs, to see the needs of others. Some of us are simply dreading Monday morning, and we're almost sick in our stomachs at the thought of what lies Monday morning for us. Those are just some of the thoughts I have felt over the years. I don't know about you, but I'm sure in a church this size, there are a range of people. And so forget Mission Impossible. How on earth is God going to possibly use people like me, people like us, the church, to display his wisdom and his glory in the universe? Our reading begins, verse 14, for this reason. Over the last six weeks, we've seen how Paul explained to us God's master plan to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ, to create for himself a new people brought together by the cross, and in that new people to display his glory to the world, to the universe, forever. And that is the reason on Paul's mind as he turns now to prayer. Verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. The Bible doesn't give us a posture guide to prayer. I take it we can pray um, adopting any posture we want. In fact, the Jews of Paul's day stood mainly praying up, praying standing up. Paul doesn't fall down on his knees out of convention or habit, but rather, I suspect, because he is utterly overwhelmed. He knows that he has nothing left. He knows that in and of himself, he can do nothing to further this extraordinary master plan he's been talking about. He knows that the little Ephesian church gathered perhaps in Ephesus, surrounded by the mighty pagan Roman Empire, he knows that they, too, have nothing left in and of themselves to make this master plan a reality. And so he prays. And we can see why he prays, verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. Paul's got nothing left. But the Father, he has everything. He has glorious riches. And that is why Paul prays. It is a glorious prayer. Essentially, it is a prayer for power. And Paul knows we need God's power in our weakness. We can only be the people that God wants us to be through God's power. I hope by the end of tonight, as we leave here to face a new week, I hope we go 
rejoicing because of the power available to each one of us to be God's people. I hope we leave here tonight committed afresh to pray for other Christians that they too would experience this remarkable power from the Heavenly Father. Paul says we need God's power for two things in this little passage. First, we need God's power to become Christ's home. To become Christ's home. Verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, then you'll know that this this is quite a puzzling thought. Uh, Back in chapter one, Paul said over 10 times that a Christian is someone who is in Christ. The moment when a person understands what Christ has done on the cross and they turn and put their trust in him, that very moment they enter Christ. We cannot see it, we may not feel it, but it is true. The Christian is someone who has two postcodes, perhaps Sheffield here, but we have a heavenly postcode. We are in Christ. And even though we cannot see it, it is true nonetheless. So why does Paul pray for power so that Christ may dwell in our hearts? Isn't Christ already doing this? Yes and no. The words that Paul uses here for dwell, it's a strong word. It means to kind of settle down, to to occupy, to, to settle in for the long term into the new home. A few years ago, Lorna and I bought a little flat in Oxford. I can remember that Friday afternoon going down to the solicitors, picking up the keys and going to the flat. And I can remember putting the key into the front door, turning the lock, opening the front door and walking into our new flat. I entered the flat. In fact, my brother was with me. He was visiting. And uh, I can I, I could see him all ready to kind of be glowing about the flat. And, and he walked in uh, and his face just sort of fell because the flat was a tremendous mess. Uh, there was tobacco stains all over the ceiling. The paint was peeling off the walls. It was painted in a horrible, vivid color. Um, it needed new heating and new bathroom, new plumbing, new flooring, everything. And I, he was sort of stumbling for words to say, well, you know, wonderful. Congratulations on your... Um, new house, um, he couldn't even say, I think it's got potential. He couldn't even say that. Do you see, there was a definite moment when I entered the house, when I got the keys and I owned it. Well, Lorna and I owned it. Sorry, Lorna. Yeah, we, we owned it. But that is not the same as settling into the house. Over the next year, we um, stripped out the flooring and put in new plumbing and uh, repainted the walls six times. And um, we went to Ikea a couple of times and we got all the furniture. And after a year of working and scheming and putting our mark on the, on the flat, we looked back and said, do you know, we're in. We, we settled in. This flat now represents our home. This is what we are about as people. Do you see the difference? Ownership versus settling down, dwelling, making it your place, putting your stamp on it. It's not a perfect illustration, but I think that takes us to something of what Paul is saying here. There is a definite moment in time when we put our trust in Christ, and and we are in Christ. If you like, the the ownership of our lives has changed. Christ enters our heart, and we really are truly in Christ. He is in us. 
He walks to the front door of our, of, our, of our lives. But make no mistake about it. Behind every front door, our lives are in a dreadful state. Our hearts are in a terrible way. They are, by nature, against Christ. Our hearts are full of, what, envy, bitterness, hatred, self-centeredness. We're preoccupied with our own interests, not others. Short temper. Whatever it is, you know what it is behind your front door. And what Christ is doing now is he is putting his stamp on our hearts. He is not just walking in, he is settling down. He is bringing about his work in our lives so that we reflect uh, his ownership. He wants people to walk into our lives and to say about God, wow, I love what you've done with the place. Uh, we need power to become Christ's home. And notice where this power is needed. Uh, verse 16, Paul talks about our, our inner being. Or verse 17, he talks about our hearts. The same idea. This is, this is heart work. This is work behind the front door that people can see on a Sunday or in our small group. This is, this is who we are right at the center of our being. Our hearts are the control rooms of our lives. They are where we make our decisions, where we control our emotions. And Paul is praying for nothing less that our hearts would be transformed to be a place that Christ calls home. He is praying for nothing less that those who have a fiery temper will become people of peace and patience. He is praying for nothing less that people who are bitter are able to forgive. That people who are anxious and worried learn to turn to Christ and find peace. Some here tonight will be excited by this thought that uh, Christ is moving in and taking over our hearts. We say, brilliant, bring it on. I love change. What will happen next? Others of us might just feel a little weary, a little overwhelmed. Perhaps we've been trying to change for years. We've had a go at that stubborn stain in the front living room or the stuff up in the, the, um, the back room that we've, we've never had a chance to really sort out. That habit, that way of thinking, that, that private sin we always fall for. And we've tried to change it and it just hasn't happened. And so we've gone to just locking those doors, those rooms off in our hearts, hoping no one sees. And there's a weariness, a skepticism about change. But that is why Paul is on his knees. Because he knows he has nothing left. He knows the Ephesians have nothing left. He knows we tonight have nothing left. We cannot change ourselves. He doesn't say, look to the inner hero inside yourself to find just the right technique to deal with that habit. No, Paul says, we need power in our inner being. We need a heavenly father who has a glorious supply of riches. who can, out of those riches, give us the power we need to become a place where Christ calls home. Look, if we know we're struggling with a particular sin, a particular habit that has just got us, why not ask someone to pray for us? Look, if it's, if it's a particularly awkward thing, want to ask a close friend. You don't need to tell everyone about it. Want to ask one or two people, would you pray for power? I can't do it on my own. 
Would you pray that God, out of his glorious riches, would give me his power in my inner being, that I would be a place that Christ would call home? Or maybe in our small groups, maybe at a different level, we could begin to create a culture where we we pray these kinds of prayers for one another. Look, we all need to change. That's not a secret. I need to change. Let's not be all um, British about it. Let's be open and say, look, we need each other's help. Let's pray for one another, that we would experience God's power in our inner being that we may change to become a place that Christ calls home. If we're not praying, I guess we won't be experiencing this kind of power in our hearts. We need God's power to become Christ's home. Second, we need God's power to grasp Christ's love. Look at the end of verse 17. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I guess there are many people here tonight uh, who have achieved a lot academically. Uh, We have impressive exam results, uh, impressive degrees, Uh, We have jobs where we problem solve and we write papers or whatever it is. We have a track record of being able to sort things out. It's easy to begin to think that given enough time, enough resources, well, we can just about work out anything. But here is one thing we cannot work out with our own intelligence. We cannot grasp the extent of God's love for us. And this is because grasping God's love is not something that we can do on our own. We need his power, verse 19, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Evangelical Christians have been rightly wary of an overemphasis on experience. It is very dangerous to think that a particular experience is a barometer for our relationship with God. And sadly, some people do make a particular experience, a particular emotion, the, the thing they aim for, the thing they use to gauge whether they are close to God or not. But we've seen so far from Ephesians that our relationship with God is not a matter of feelings or emotions. No, spiritually, we are in Christ through faith whether we feel like it or not. And so experience should never be the barometer of our Christian relationship with God. And yet my fear is that as evangelicals, we have swung too far the other way. We've said no to experience and emotion. And instead, I wonder if sometimes if we settle for something else, a knowledge of God's love, which is only academic, and only intellectual. And so we go and read the latest book about the cross, and we understand what the cross means. Uh, We go to key pastors in the Bible, and we memorize uh, important things about uh, the love of God. Uh, We even learn the difference between key love words like redemption and reconciliation. And we, we learn all these facts about the cross, and we tick the box saying, I now understand God's love. But we can do all those things intellectually, academically, and not grasp the extent 
of God's love. And the danger is that we stop looking for a deeper, wider, longer, higher grasp, insight into God's love. But Paul doesn't stop there. Verse 19, he wants us to know this love that surpasses knowledge. The kind of love you can't just work out with pen and paper or with a couple of hours with a good friend talking. The famous preacher, R.A. Torrey, once described an experience one day when he was having his daily devotions. He was reading the scripture and praying. And as he prayed through a passage of scripture, he, he was moved by what he had read and as he was praying. In fact, he was so overcome by a particular awareness of God's love for him that he began to weep and weep and weep. Men can cry, you know, if the conditions are right. In fact, he was so overwhelmed by the reality of God's love for him that he had to pray to God, to ask God to stop showing him more of God's love. He couldn't cope with it. And can I say, when is the last time we've read scripture and prayed and we've had to stop because the tears are flowing too strongly? When is the last time we've had to just put everything down and just stop and say, wow, that, that is just incredible? When is the last time we've read a passage that we've read a hundred times before and as we've read it, we've just thought, wow, I now see that in a whole new light. I see how God's love impacts that problem and that insecurity and that issue in my life. I now get how God loves me in a new and fresh way. We need God's power to grasp Christ's love. What I'm talking about is not mysticism, or emotionalism. Uh, We've heard that yesterday, Valentine's Day, the world expressed love through chocolates and flowers and slushy romantic cards. But tonight, we're going to share in just a moment a meal of bread and wine, which reminds us how God showed his love for us with two pieces of wood, a few nails six inches long, and the most agonizing death the world has ever seen. That is how God displayed his love to us. This is not some kind of mystical experience, some kind of slushy romance. And yet as we survey the incredible width and depth and breadth and height of that love, there is always more for us to understand and to grasp and experience. You can almost see Paul struggling to, to describe what he's praying for. It's, it's too wide and deep and, and it's beyond knowledge and yet I want them to know it, he prays. This isn't an experience that is detached from the reality and truth of the cross. And yet I think as Christians we should be expecting to grow in our experience of God. As we pray for power to be at work in our hearts. We need God's power to grasp Christ's love. And I'm not talking also about the goal being some kind of warm, fuzzy, private experience we have in our room on our own and we go, oh, that was nice. I feel better now. That is not, again, why Paul is praying. Notice how verse 19 continues. Why does Paul pray for this extra insight into God's love? End of verse 19 that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
What does that mean? Well, Paul tells us in the next chapter, in verse 13, he he uses almost exactly the same phrase, the idea of being uh, filled with the fullness of, of Christ. And this time, it's paralleled with being mature in Christ, having a character which has been molded into Christ's character. What Paul is saying back in Ephesians 3 is that we need to know God's love in a greater and greater way so that we may grow to become more and more mature as God's people. You see, there is a direct link between how much we understand God's love and how mature we can become as God's people. In one of his books, Don Carson tells the true story about a Christian couple, friends of his, who fostered babies, children. On one occasion, they were given 18-month-old twin boys to look after for a few weeks. And on the first night, they were expecting it to be quite a disturbed night. Uh, These little boys had been with nine different families in just a matter of months. And their experience had been that on the first night, there was often lots of um, disruptions in the night. And so they put these two boys to bed, and there was complete silence. They were amazed. And in fact, they were intrigued and slightly worried. And so the husband went upstairs after a little while, he opened the door, and there were the two twins lying there, sobbing completely um, drenched in tears, not making a noise. Because in their previous homes, they had been beaten for making a noise, for crying out loud, like normal children do. And because they had been starved of love, because they hadn't been in a context where they were nurtured in love, they were stunted emotionally. In fact, they'd been examined by the experts just before they moved in, and they, they were off the charts. They were... Um, beyond repair, they were told, emotionally, so damaged were these little twin boys. Well, this Christian couple took them and they loved them for two years. And at the end of two years, they handed the, the children on to be adopted, finally into a wonderful family. And as they were retested emotionally, they were back within normal limits. They had developed. There is a link between how much we know we are loved and how much we can develop emotionally and mature as people. We see it everywhere in life. We see it in all the studies that are done in family life. And Paul knows it because he says it in verse 19. Unless we understand the the sheer scope of God's love, we cannot grow into the fullness of God and become mature. I wonder, and this is just my own speculation, take it or leave it if you will, I wonder if one of the main reasons why the church in this country is not making a bigger impact in the world. I wonder why, I wonder if the main reason why people don't look at our community, the way that we do church, and say, I want to be part of that. I wonder if one of the main reasons is because most, if not all of us, on our own at home, are like those twin boys, sobbing and drenching our pillows with tears. We know in our heads that we are loved. We can recite all the Bible words about the cross. And yet somehow that knowledge has not penetrated our hearts to the deepest and most profound levels where our anxieties are dealt with, where our fears about the future are are nurtured and looked after and dealt with. We need God's power to understand God's love for us. If we are to be the people God wants us to be, the the new community that people look at and go, wow, I want to be part of that. We need first to know just how much we are loved before we can even think about what our role is in that new people. Let me give you an example. Uh, Think about envy. 
that deep, profound sensation that other people have what we want and need and that we don't have it. Of course, horizontally, envy is very destructive to any community. Uh, Envy in the church can put a halt to real community very quickly. But vertically, what is envy saying about God? Envy says that God hasn't done right by me. He hasn't given me what I need, what I deserve. And in fact, he's been a bit cruel because he's given other people what I should have had. And he's been unkind to me because they've got what I didn't get. But do you see how if we are growing in our understanding of God's love for us, displayed at the cross and then impacting our hearts in new and deeper ways, if we understand that increasingly, we'll see that we needn't be envious of anyone. We had this unbelievable love given to us as a concrete foundation for our souls. What could be better? God does love us profoundly, once for all, seen at the cross. And so when we see disparities in this life, when people seem to have more than us, one thing that's not in doubt is this, God's love. So do you see how if we can grasp God's love profoundly deeper in our inner beings, we have a weapon to fight envy. We need God's power to grasp Christ's love. Oh, how we need this power. Wouldn't it be wonderful if our prayer life reflected Paul's prayer life? For our friends, our family, our children, grandchildren. Wouldn't it be wonderful if our small groups, as we shared our prayer requests for the week, focused less perhaps on the job interview or the exam coming up and focused more on our need for God's power to show us how much he loves us. I think the church here and across the country as a church, we need to recapture our sense of expectation. There is extraordinary power that has been made available to us out of the glorious riches of the eternal Father. And as Paul prays, you can just sense his excitement. He he sees the potential. Uh, Look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Uh, Paul is not saying here that as he talks about this immeasurable power, he's not saying that God will give us a a particularly large lottery win. Uh, He's not saying that um, we'll land the dream job or marry our dream boyfriend. No, he's talking about, end of verse 20, what God can do within us. That is, within our inner being, within our hearts. Paul is talking about heart work. He is saying that God can do far more than we imagine in our hearts. He can change us in ways we never thought possible. He can show us an insight into his love that transforms us in a way we never thought possible. Which means God really can make us a people that others look at and say, wow, I want to be part of that new community. I just wonder if we do not have because we do not ask. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the
the glorious riches that you have, that inexhaustible supply of, of power and love. Father, we look to you now. We have nothing. We are overwhelmed. We are beyond what we can manage. We cannot possibly be the people you want us to be. We cannot possibly display, display your wisdom and glory to the universe on our own. And so we kneel before the throne of glory and we pray for power to be at work within our hearts, within others' hearts, within this uh, precious church of yours. Would you give us great power, we pray. And we pray this, verse 21, for your glory. Amen.